as always, we have visitors among us, and we're thankful that you have come to worship with us tonight here at Saudi. You will be turning your Bibles in the Old Testament book of Psalm. Psalm 119 will be the text basis for our thoughts tonight. I've entitled this lesson, God's Word Is. God's Word Is. If you're like me, you noticed that the world in which we live makes constant attempts to redefine morality. And they do this oftentimes by disregarding and altering God's laws. You know, we see this in our own country. Uh, The greatest nation that has ever uh, been on the face of the earth, in my opinion, and I think others would would agree with that. But our laws at all levels of government condone activities that God says is sinful. So I think you can understand and see that God's word is under constant attack in this world. You know, Scripture makes numerous references to God's word and the importance of God's word in the lives of, of mankind. Here in Psalm 119, there are 176 verses, and every verse helps us to appreciate the Word of God even more. Let's read a few of these together. Psalm 119, verse 1, beginning. I'm reading from the New King James translation. The psalmist here says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse number 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? He asked. The answer, by taking heed according to your word. Verse number 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse number 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Verse number 24. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Skip forward to verse number 81, Psalm 119:81. He says, "My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word." Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Finally, verse 130. And again, I'm just randomly picking some of these verses that I particularly like myself. But again, every verse you'll notice has reference to God's word. Verse number 130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I want us to use verse number 89, Psalm 119.89 is kind of the basis for our the points in our lesson tonight. Notice Psalm 119, verse 89. The psalmist here says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. I believe this verse reveals three important truths to us concerning God's holy word. And I want us to explore those a little deeper tonight in our lesson. There will be three points. Point number one, God's Word is authoritative. God's Word is authoritative. The psalmist points out, points to the Bible's origin when he writes there, Thy Word, referring to the Lord Jehovah. 
the God of heaven. Every word in Scripture is inspired, reliable, and definitive. Keep your fingers there in Psalm and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Familiar passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We could quote this, I'm sure, but I want you to look at the words. Paul, the inspired writer here, writes in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, beginning. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why, Paul? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you have the English Standard Version there, that word complete will, will probably be rendered competent. Fully equipped. In other words, everything we need to be thoroughly equipped in God for every good work. You remember Jesus there in the garden on the night he would be betrayed and subsequently tried and crucified. Recorded in John 17, verse 17, he's praying to God. He said, thy word is truth. Very important verse as we consider the authoritative nature of God's holy word. You know, a search of the entire Bible will show that it contains more than 2,700 instances in which divine inspiration is claimed. You'll find verses like God said, the Lord said, by revelation, God revealed or made known. All those things, 2,700 times inspiration is claimed. Because God's word is inspired or God breathed, because it's reliable, because it's definitive, we must allow it to be authoritative in all religious matters. Let me repeat that. We must allow it to be authoritative in all religious matters. Matters such as salvation. Matters about worship. Matters about righteous daily living. And matters about eternity. You know, I try to <clears throat> keep my finger on the pulse, if you will, of what's going on in our brotherhood. I read quite a bit and, and subscribe to different things where I can kind of know what's going on. And I read an article recently by a, uh, a an individual. Um, as far as I know, he's a faithful member of the Lord's Church. But he was almost scolding New Testament Christians about our concern for being right in what we do religiously. And that kind of, when I first read that, I didn't really know how to take it. Uh, I think he, what he was saying was that we should not glory in being right. And I would agree with that. But it is, it is important that we are right, not simply for the sake of being right, but simply because God's Word is right. And we must follow that in all religious matters. It should be our utmost concern. When something is said to be the authority, it means that it is the last word on the matter. It's not subject to debate or private interpretation. Turn forward there in First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. You know the verse. Peter there says, 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word there, moved, is, is better translated carried along, borne along, carried along by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Paul's thoughts, it wasn't Peter's thoughts, it wasn't John's thoughts, it was God's thoughts. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, it's my personal opinion, they had some license there with, with how they said those things, but it was all under the authority of what God wanted them to say. It wasn't their own private interpretation. Paul wasn't, he didn't have the ability to say, well, I think it should be this way. Neither does man. And we need to remember that. God's Word is authoritative. And we need to keep it in that. In that, in that way. Point number two in our lesson tonight about God's Word. God's Word is firm. Back in our passage there in, in Psalm 119.89, the psalmist here says that God's Word is settled. If you're, again, using the English Standard translation, that translates that word settled there as firmly fixed. Firmly fixed. What God has said will endure forever. You remember Matthew 24, we won't take the time to turn to it, but Jesus was going, he was in a discussion <clears throat> responding to two questions that his close disciples had posed to him there about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and also about his second coming. Matthew 24 and verse 35, he's, he gives them, he tells them that these things, talking about all this stuff that they see, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God's Word will endure forever. There, in, Turn back a few pages, if you're still in Second Peter, to First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 24 says, Because, and he quotes here, uh, a direct reference to Isaiah 40. He says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And he goes on to say, Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. He's writing to Christians. They're late in the first century. This is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It's going to last forever. It's going to be enduring forever. Let's think for a moment about this planet we live on. Earth is what we call it. Its orbit or its relationship to the sun, stars, and other planets is fixed. The average distance between the earth and the sun is about 93 million miles. Pretty, pretty long way. One complete orbit around the sun takes a little over 365 days. That's where we get our calendar year. It travels in an elliptical fashion. It's not a perfect circle. It's an elongated circle. And while it's doing that, it's spinning. The earth is spinning at about 18 miles per second. And it's doing all of that. Scientists tell us that the earth's orbit is perfect. What do we mean by that? Well, did you realize that if we move a little closer to the sun, 
everything on earth would burn up. Conversely, if we moved a little further away from the sun, everything would freeze. Life on earth would be, earth would not be habitable by human beings. God designed the earth in perfect harmony in our universe. As we think about God's word being fixed and firm, the same God that spoke this world and everything in it into existence also provided his word to us, and it is firmly fixed as well. Let us remember that. So God's word is firm. Point number three in our lesson tonight, God's word is objectively true. We say objectively there in contrast with subjective. You know, a lot of things in this world are subjective. I can think about what I want to think about them. But when something's objectively true, there's no what I think or what I feel about it. God's word is from heaven. The Bible is not of human origin. It is higher than any earthly governing power. You remember in Acts chapter number 5, Peter and John, the other apostles, were there shortly after the church had been established on the day of Pentecost. They were in and around Jerusalem. And the religious leaders became aware of their preaching and teaching, and they didn't like it. And so you know how they called them before the council and told them not to be preaching Jesus Christ and about Him and those things. And this happened on a number of occasions. And uh, I believe it was Peter, if my reference is correct, in verse 29 of Acts 5, he said he told the council, he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Because God's word is objectively true. You know, we have opportunities in our world today. Again, like I stated earlier, there are a lot of laws on the books in this land who, that are contrary to God's, God's word. We have to live under governments, and we know that, we recognize that. But if there comes a point in time when our government gets to the point where its laws are against godly living, who are we going to follow? Whose law are we going to follow? I hope I have the faith and courage and fortitude to follow God, regardless of what the the world says. And it may not happen in our lifetime, but then again it might. So we need to be equipped with God's Word to know what it says, because it is objectively true and it's from heaven. It's not of human origin. The Bible was penned by about approximately 40 different men over a period of several thousand years. The Bible writers understood and insisted that the information they penned was accurate and factual and should be accepted not based on a lack of evidence or a leap in the dark, but on an abundance of verifiable proof. You know, oftentimes today people accuse us as as Christians of of just having a blind faith. We just believe things just for face value. Well, I would challenge that argument in that we have verifiable proof right here in God's Word. That's the basis for our faith. Now, I will agree that there are certain things that we have to just follow and believe by faith. But the evidence to me is clear, giving us enough to base a life of faith on 
with what we do have and what is verifiable and all those sorts of things. Think about it this way. If an all-knowing, all-powerful God exists, and there's ample evidence that he does, then such a God could produce written revelation for his human creation that was flawless in its original production. I believe also he could guide uneducated men to write about events that occurred hundreds or thousands of years before their time with complete accuracy. I also believe that he could, he could even guide men to write about future events with perfect accuracy. Isaiah wrote about 750 years before Jesus Christ came into existence on this earth as a, plant, as a human. Everything that he said about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was 100% true. And other Old Testament prophets as well. So it's more than just a human concoction that many people would claim today. You know something, mere human genius never could have produced a work with such predictive prophecy, scientific foreknowledge, and overall factual accuracy as God's holy word. You know something, what I think about the truth doesn't change the truth. There's so many people today with their thoughts, their feelings, their opinions about God's objective truth. When they run counter to God's Word, it doesn't really matter what they think. It doesn't change God's Word. It's fixed. It's firm as we've already established. And it's objectively true. God's Word is truth, John 17, 17. It it is that Word that will judge us when Christ returns, John 12 and verse number 48. As we kind of draw this to a conclusion tonight, I'm thankful that God's Word is authoritative. I'm thankful that God's Word is firm. And I'm thankful that God's Word is objectively true. I'm thankful that it has been preserved for us. I'm thankful that God has given me the cognitive ability to read, to reason, and to understand His Word. We should never minimize the value or take God's Word for granted. We should treasure it for what it is, what it can do for us, and the hope it provides to those who obey it. The world will continue to devalue, to degrade and discount God's Word. You know, you may be thinking, well, we hear a lot of sermons and lessons about God's Word. Well... We don't make any apologies for that because it's that important that we are well-versed in God's Word. How else are we going to know when we're hearing false teaching? How else are we going to know when we're confronted with some decision that we need to make religiously of whether or not it's right in God's eyes or not if we don't know God's Word? As we begin this new year, You know, a lot of us make resolutions. I don't because I don't keep them. But many people resolve to read God's Word every day, and that's wonderful. I hope that you you do that. But let us be resolved to learn the truth, to love the truth, and to live the truth with more zeal than we have in the past. The lesson is yours. Tonight, if you're here, not a child of God... Now is a perfect opportunity. 
could be your last opportunity. We don't like to be morbid or talk about those things, but the fact of the matter is it could be. Would you not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Would you not be willing to confess His wonderful name before this group and continue to confess Him with the way you live your life until God calls you home? Repent of sins, that means to change. You know, Christianity demands change. Many people are not Christians today because they're unwilling to change. But it requires it. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes sins away. Sending those sins as far as the east is from the west. God's promise. Rising to walk in newness of life. You can have that tonight. Or if you're here, having done those things in times past, maybe you've taken your eyes off of and out of God's Word. Something's going to fill that void. Oftentimes it's not the right thing. Oftentimes it's something that's going to carry you further away from God. Would you not come home? Come back to the Word. Come back to God. Be restored. God, just like that father in the in the parable of the prodigal son, stands waiting, watching, hoping, praying that you will do just that. Tonight, again, is a perfect opportunity. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as we stand?